Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The first book I wrote, Theophilus, concerned all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was received up, and after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also showed himself alive after he suffered, by many proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking about God's kingdom. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them, Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me, For John indeed baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you now restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has set within his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right, exciting day today. We're on to a new book of scripture, the book of Acts. Now, Acts was written by Luke. Actually, it was a sequel to his Gospel of Luke. So what do we know about Luke? We know that he was a physician from Colossians 4.14. We know he was a Gentile from his name, apparently. And also, he was a devoted companion of Paul, And we see that from the text of Acts and from a few other places in the epistles. I'm pretty sure Luke wrote more pages of the New Testament than anyone else, even Paul. No doubt in his accounting of the book of Acts, some of it was firsthand. What I mean by that is Luke was there when it happened. He was with Paul and gave a firsthand account. Now the book of Acts spans about 30 years, ending around AD 61 with Paul in Rome, waiting to appeal before Caesar Nero the same Nero who would end up persecuting Christians. Acts starts with Luke addressing a man named Theophilus. Now, Theophilus means God-lover, so kind of a cool play on words there. Theophilus, I assume, was a real guy. At the same time, it's like Luke is addressing any God-lover, anyone who wants to examine Jesus and his dealings through these accounts. Luke also here at the beginning of Acts is referencing his first book, The Gospel of Luke, where he had dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts continues the story and will unfold what happens regarding Jesus and his followers after his death, resurrection, and ascension. All right, verse 1 of Acts. The first book I wrote, Theophilus, concerned all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was received up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen To these he also showed himself alive after he had suffered, by many proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking about God's kingdom. After Jesus' resurrection, he hung around making appearances to his disciples for a period of forty days before finally ascending to heaven. Some of these appearances were in Galilee, others near Jerusalem, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul described one of these many infallible proofs. He said, 
Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at once, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So most of those witnesses were still alive some 25 years later in the days of Paul's ministry. And so when Paul would witness or testify about Jesus' resurrection, he'd say, don't take my word, there's hundreds of other people, in fact, 500, more than 500 brothers and sisters who saw Jesus after his death. For those who witnessed the resurrected Lord, how cool would that be to get to hang out with Jesus before his ascension and listen to him speak about God's kingdom? How mind-blowing it must have been to have witnessed him bleed out and die on a cross, watch his lifeless body be pierced and then taken to a tomb, and then three days later to be with him, just chilling, laughing with him, enjoying him, listening to him teach, watching him eat, seeing his scars, to be in the physical presence of the one who had just defeated death. I wonder if people asked him questions. I probably would have wanted to ask him some things like, what was it like to die? What were you thinking about on that cross? Did your spirit go somewhere after your body was dead? How did you manage to rise from the dead? How neat to imagine the day when we who believe will see the resurrected and glorified Christ face to face, feel his wounds, hear his voice, behold his glory. How awesome and yet at the same time difficult it must have been to have seen Jesus be taken up to heaven at the conclusion of those 40 days. You lost him once, he came back to life and appeared to many believers, and then he's gone once more. And yet, quote unquote, losing Jesus the second time via his ascension probably didn't bring in the despair and hopelessness many may have felt right after Jesus died. Now they knew their Lord was conqueror over death. His promises are true. And Jesus promised the believers at his ascension to heaven that he would be with them always, and he is. So one may ask, how can Jesus say he would always be with them when he was being taken to heaven? Jesus wasn't going to leave his followers as orphans and helpless, he had told them. He promised to send his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, for example, in John 15, 26, that the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, would come. Jesus would send him to us from the Father. Jesus said in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Finally, John 7, verses 37 to 39, reveals that the Spirit could not be sent until after Jesus was glorified. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus had to go away for their good and ours. He had to be glorified. Once he had ascended to heaven and sat glorified at the right hand of God the Father, he could then send the Holy Spirit to his believers, which proceeds from the Father. Jesus told his followers in verse 4 to 5, here in Acts 1, to wait for his Holy Spirit to come. Basically, don't go anywhere. Stay right there in Jerusalem. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's read verse 4. Being assembled together with him, he commanded them, Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John indeed baptized in water, but you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And verse seven continues that thought, that they would receive power or authority when the Holy Spirit comes upon them with the Holy Spirit, they were to be witnesses to the end of the world. Why was it important for them to stay and wait for the Holy Spirit? Well, here's some of what the Holy Spirit does according to John 16, verses 13 to 14, where Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. And verse 7 of Acts mentions the power or authority that would come from having been baptized with the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit would mean no divine guidance and no power or authority. No ability to carry out Jesus' call to fulfill His great commission, go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. The other day I was putting together our new 15-foot round trampoline with my wife and 11-year-old daughter. She was ecstatic about this surprise Easter gift and couldn't wait to get this thing up. It was evening and trying to be the hero dad, I really wanted to get the thing assembled ASAP so she could enjoy it before it got dark. So I figured I could save some time just kind of skimming through the instructions and not really reading the entire thing word for word per se. Always a good idea, right? I mean, I'm a man, how hard can it be? I'd have this thing up in no time. Well, apparently had I paid attention to the instructions, I probably would have had the trampoline up in half the time. Little did we know there was a tool supplied for stretching out the strings and connecting them to each slot in the metal skeleton frame. Instead, I about threw my back out, trying to hold Kogan each spring into place. <laughs> Very quickly, that became impossible. With each spring into place came more resistance with the next. <laughs> so then we thought we were clever when we devised a method that somewhat functionally worked, which involved using the claw of two hammers and an extra spring to stretch the original string into place. I'll spare you all the details with that. Suffice it to say, it really wasn't that clever. But I was thinking, man, we're geniuses. I was like, man, how do other people figure out to do something so complicated just to get the spring into place? Why wouldn't they simply supply us with a way to do this, I thought. And when we were starting to hit a groove in the assembly process, I thought we should make a how-to video and put it up on YouTube to help others. Glad we didn't, because boy, we were acting the fool. You see, we were clumsily attempting to assemble something which was impossible without a tool. So we made our own ghetto tool, but it still wasn't very efficient. Had I just taken the effort to read all the instructions and follow them, I would have learned that they provided a tool for the task. We would have had the trampoline up in no time. The connection I'm trying to make here is that Jesus instructed his disciples to wait on the Holy Spirit. There was a proper order for accomplishing God's will. It required them to be equipped with power and guidance. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Romans 8 tells us that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. How often do we tend to rush into pursuits or life decisions without involving God as we should? Are we patient and meek enough to seek out God's plan and will and submit to it? Do we allow the Holy Spirit room to guide our decisions and rely on Christ by His Spirit to work through us? Do we understand that there is no other way that works? It's God's way or no way. We've got to be utterly dependent on God and His Spirit working in and through us to accomplish His good and perfect will. 
when we trust in our own strength, wisdom, and our own abilities instead of God's, we'll ultimately fail miserably. Now let's look at Acts 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you now restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It isn't for you to know times or seasons which the Father has said within his own authority. According to the Bible commentator Stott, he said, The verb restore shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom, the noun Israel, that they were expecting a national kingdom, and the adverbial clause at this time that they were expecting its immediate establishment. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't necessarily saying that there was to be no restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Rather, there was no need for them to worry about the timing of it. It wasn't for them to know. God knows the end from the beginning. He has a plan. But we're called to live by faith, not by sight. We're called to trust God. God doesn't tell us everything for good reason, no doubt. I wonder what details about God's plan for our lives we've wished God would disclose to us immediately. Like, if you'll get married, who should you marry? Where will you live in 10 years? When will Christ return? So what would happen if we knew everything from the beginning? I wonder if we'd try to like manipulate the present to fulfill our perceived vision of God's plan. Would we still be relying on God, trusting in Him, looking to Him? Could we stand to know every aspect of God's plan? What tomorrow holds? When this or that will happen and how? Would we be overwhelmed? Would we be anxious? The Holy Spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to another in stages. Life is a process. I'm glad God works with me in stages and carefully crafts and molds me in His way and in His timing. Jesus said to His disciples in John 16, 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear to hear them now. So God's got a sovereign plan, and according to His will and the timing of that plan, how it unfolds, that's up to God, and He can disclose that or He can choose not to share that. was baptizing in the desert A baptism of repentance A change of heart toward God A forgiveness of sins But he told the people to believe In the one coming after him Who would baptize with the Holy Spirit And with Washes us with water through the word. We are called to Jesus' grace when we confess his holy name. The living water cleanses us and makes us new. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. When you confess with the mouth your faith in Jesus' name, you end the life of sin. That's when you pour the Oh, 
sound I cannot tell from where it comes Or where it goes Life goes born of the Spirit It didn't earn the gift of God when the Father wills It comes on its own Sometimes before, sometimes after The baptism of water We are baptized in the Spirit of our God He will teach us all things truth and give us power to speak the word of God to everyone. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. The Spirit lives in us and guides us day by day by Him we're sanctified. As we live a life for Christ, we become a living sacrifice. Be careful how you build on the foundation of Jesus For every work is tested by the baptism of fire If you don't bear the fruit for God Then you will have to suffer loss So live for Jesus and on Him alone rely Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved In Jesus' word, immerse yourself each day That was baptized from the Adams Road album, Enemy of the Cross. There is something more in Christ, something that I didn't see, a reason for His suffering, a cause for Him to flee. I never felt His love. Never knew his face until I was nowhere enough to have no hope but his grace. For my sins, his body was broken. For my wrongs, his blood has To gain the world Lost myself in between Last time I'll let the world Tell me who I should be Wealth and pleasure, fame and glory I have found it all falls away Oh, yeah.
That was something more from the Adams Road album, Adams Road.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 26. Grace and peace be with you all.